The passage of scripture I'd like to share with you this morning is found in the New Testament in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is an exhortation from an older minister to a younger minister. The Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, who he described as his son in the ministry, his son in the faith. He calls him his dearly beloved son. Probably one of the last letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he was writing from prison and he was expecting to be executed shortly for his um, ministry. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So it wasn't proud of Paul, it wasn't arrogant of Paul to say, Timothy, I want you to follow my example. Paul was an apostle of the church. He was a steward of the truth, and he was a disciple, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And in discipling Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to follow my example. Now, we all have things in our lives, um, if you're a mentor, where you would say, do, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Maybe do that with your children. Now, children, I'm going to teach you the way you should live your life, but don't follow my example. Paul's saying, look, Timothy, I want you to, I want you to follow my example. The things you've heard of me among many witnesses, the testimony, the gospel, the message that I've preached, I want you to commit that to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. So the message that Paul had been in, in, uh, entrusted with He had passed on to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I want you to be faithful to pass that on to other faithful men. You see the progression, and God has blessed that to be the case because we have the truth in our day. God's blessed his truth to be stewarded. That's the primary, one of the primary functions of the church is to be a steward of the truth. In fact, in 1 Timothy, we're taught that the church, the house of God, is the pillar and ground of the truth. So you're not going to be taught the truth. You're not going to hear the truth outside of the church of Jesus Christ and the ministry of of the church of Jesus Christ. Commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. That was the vision that Paul had for the ministry, and that's the vision we should have today. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, just real quickly, I want to take a look at these three illustrations that he gives of what the gospel ministry is. And it's the, he uses the illustration of a soldier, of a farmer, and of an athlete. And these three illustrations give us some insight into what it means to be a minister of the gospel. He says, first of all, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So first of all, for those of you that are ministers here, and those of you that maybe someday will be called to the ministry or just uh, even as a Christian disciple, he says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So you can imagine what it's like to be, maybe you were in the military, maybe you know loved ones who were in the military, the structure, the discipline, the rigor uh, that's required in you know, basic training and boot camp, and then that continued discipline that uh, is preparing you to work together as a team, to be submissive to authority, to be ready to follow orders when it's a matter of life and death. And sometimes there's uh, 
you're out in the elements, maybe you don't get to have a lot of food, maybe you're carrying a heavy burden and you're marching for many miles, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, I used to be super strict about this, that that was saying that uh, you, you should make it your goal to be a full-time minister. And I'm, I'm okay with there being different interpretations on that. I will tell you this is what I think he's saying. If you're called to the ministry, that is your, um, that's your primary calling. Now, <clears throat> if you're a man who's single, like Paul was, you have the, uh, the liberty to be able to just do that and you don't have to worry about anything else. If you're married and you have a family, Paul says that you are uh, obligated to be concerned about how you're going to please your wife. If you're married, you have to please your wife. You have to take care of your family. Be that as it may, whether you're single or married, he says as a minister, you're not to be entangled with the affairs of this life. Now, many of you who know my family and know our experience over the last several months, you would say, Brother Asa, you have definitely been entangled with the affairs of this life. And I probably would not argue with you on that. What he's saying here is that while you do have a duty to work and to provide for your family, it doesn't need to be something that entangles you and distracts you and burdens you. Because if you're a soldier, you're not worrying about fixing meals. They have that taken care of. You're not worrying about your uniform and what you're going to wear. They've got that taken care of for you. Your provisions are provided for. Your duty is to be a faithful soldier, to follow the orders that are given to you, and to let everything else, uh, your, your ammunition and everything that you need to be a faithful soldier be provided for you. You're not, you're not uh, when you're in, in battle or you're in warfare, you might get to write a letter home to your family, but you're not worrying about what the stock market's doing. You're not consumed with your uh, investment properties. You're not distracted about your, your secular vocation. You're focused on the mission at hand. And I can't tell you how to do that. I can't explain to you how that all works itself out in, in real time, but I can tell you that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. There's some level of commitment that needs to be required in the gospel ministry where, yes, you have a duty to provide for your family. Yes, you have a duty to make tents if that's what's necessary, like the Apostle Paul did. But somehow, by God's grace, you don't need to be entangled and wrapped up in it and hindered by those worldly things. He says, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The second illustration is that of an athlete. So you're, you're just like a soldier, you're disciplining yourself, you're denying yourself, you're preparing yourself to, to compete like we have the Olympics going on right now so that you can do what? So that you can win, so that you can obtain the prize. And he says that part of the uh, illustration here in being an athlete is that if you're going to run the race, if you're going to fight the fight, if you're going to compete, you've got to do it according to the rules. You can't cheat. If you cheat and win, you don't win. He says, if you're going to strive for masters, you have to strive lawfully. And then the illustration of a farmer. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Now, as far as a farmer is concerned, I think what he's saying here is that there's going to be a season in your ministry where you're just sowing seed and sowing seed. 
And you've got to wait and you've got to be patient because it's in a different season that you're going to reap the harvest of the seed that you've been sowing. But he says the husbandman must be first partaker of the fruits. So you're not going to reap and sow in the same season. But when the time of reaping comes, the husbandman's the first one that gets to partake of those fruits. And he says, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So you can meditate upon these three illustrations and probably get a lot more out of it than the things that I've mentioned this morning. He says, consider what I say, the Lord give thee understanding in all things. We'll keep going and then wrap it up. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. He says, remember this in your preaching, remember this in my preaching, that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead. Don't lose sight of the importance and the significance of the resurrection and of preaching the resurrection. Jesus Christ uh, was dead, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And Paul says, for this, this is the reason that he suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Even when Paul was in prison, the word of God was able to spread abroad. In fact, a lot of the New Testament that we have was penned during Paul's imprisonment. And so whatever trouble or suffering you may go through in your service to Christ, you can have that encouragement and that confidence that knowing even in prison, even in bonds, the word of God is not bound. May God bless you. Appreciate the message that's gone before, and I desire an interest in your prayers the time that we stand before you. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Might get into chapter 6 as well, but we'll look at uh, Paul's letter to a little group of folks, the, um, the Galatian brethren, in chapter 5. There's one verse that we'll start with, verse 1, and then uh, look at some of the principle that's taught throughout the, throughout the book. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This letter is written to a group of folks that uh, they'd started off on the right path. In fact, they embraced the right doctrine. But then they, through the course of following some men that had come their way, they began to sort of think differently. Or they began to think again about a works system. And Paul gets real direct uh, with Peter, and we'll maybe look at that as well, but he, he doesn't hold back in addressing their departure from the truth in something that had been given to them. And then it looked like they were beginning to drift away or maybe compromise some things that they'd been taught and understood. I've known a few, not a lot, but a few of friends that I grew up going to church with that they sat under the sound of the preaching of the doctrines of grace. They sang the hymns. They rejoiced in the doctrines of grace. And then when they went to college or maybe after that or maybe when they got married, 
they begin to drift away from their conviction that salvation is by God's grace, period. They begin to compromise in some areas and and justified in some areas and just recently was talking to a dear brother that I've appreciated very much through the years that that I could see a, a drifting away from the conviction of the doctrines of God's sovereign grace. And what Paul is saying is, he says, don't go there. Don't even consider it. Don't do it for a moment. Don't compromise what God has given you and begin to justify it even for a minute. Satan would delight to take the truth away from you if he could do that. That, he, He would feel like he'd really mastered one if he could do that. And Paul is saying right here is that God has blessed you to know. He even mentions in one, of the, in one of the verses that as he's rebuking them for departing from the truth, he says it's God that delivered you and you're even departing from this truth. And we'll start and just kind of briefly go through. But he says, stand fast in the liberty in which you've been given by Christ. Hold fast or stand fast in it. Paul starts out as he begins to address the the Galatian folks right here. He says uh, in verse 6, he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. If God has blessed you to have an understanding of the doctrines of his sovereign grace, don't go back to a work system. Don't go back to a partial work system that you believe in grace, but if you believe in God's grace, if you understand that the scriptures teach God's grace, thank God for it and praise his name for it and pray that he'll bless you to live the rest of your days glorifying him with the precious truths of the doctrines of grace. He says to these folks right here, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He says, by the way, it is not another, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ or change or water down or dilute the gospel of Christ. And then he gets pretty serious right here. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven. Now that, that's an interesting saying that he says right there. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, Paul says, let him be accursed. Doesn't mean that you accurse him, but God does. He basically says it's important what's proclaimed in the pulpit. When, uh, when, when, the folks, uh, when the folks made the call here at uh, Mount Carmel uh, uh, a long time ago, there was uh, a group of deacons. Brother Kilby's the only one that's still living that was here at the time. Uh, Sister Peggy's dad, uh, 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 Brother Don Malcolm, and some others. And when we met, there were several things that they... That they uh, questioned me about several things that we discussed and uh, one of them was about 
the pulpit. In Texas, it is um, uh, in some churches, the responsibility of the pulpit, basically who preaches in the pulpit, is, um, is given to a group of deacons. And they'll get together and they'll huddle and they'll have a big conference meeting and a discussion and they'll determine who's going to preach in the pulpit. And so when we started, I, and I wasn't attempting to take on a role that I didn't feel like God had placed upon me, but I said, if, if I'm called the pastor of the church, if I'm going to be moving 2,000 miles away, I'd like to just have a discussion or an understanding about the responsibility of the pulpit. If I'm the pastor, I feel like that if I'm not able to preach, then I'm accountable to God to make sure that somebody is preaching in the pulpit that's going to preach the doctrines of grace. And I feel like that I'm accountable to God for that, that that's where my accountability lies and for the sake of God's people and for the sake of God's church. And Paul is saying right here that... If somebody comes to you and they preach a doctrine that's contrary to what you've been taught, he says, that's bad news. That's a bad thing. I rarely has anyone preached anything that we don't embrace that doesn't fall in line with our articles of faith. But if they did, they wouldn't preach a second time. Paul is saying it's a serious thing that the doctrine of God's grace and his message be proclaimed to his people in his church. And he says, if somebody comes along and they begin to preach works to you, he said, you don't embrace that. If they begin to preach that you have to help the Lord out, you don't embrace that. But you embrace the doctrine that's been delivered to you and you proclaim it. He says, uh, Paul says, for I, for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I yet be pleased men, if I, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. It's after Christ and what Christ did. Paul says, I, I certify it. Anybody here, I, I know that Brother Phil and Sister Marcia are very familiar with certif certifying things, aren't you? Uh, I expect that Sister Marcia and Brother Phil and Sister Tracy and others are probably notaries. And if you're a notary, one of the, one of the benefits of being a notary is that you can certify to the very best of your ability that you can certify that that signature is representing the person that it says it is. That if something, if there's a problem that comes along later down the road, you have certified to the best of your ability, looking at that person, looking at their license or other forms of ID, I certify that that is the signature of that individual. Paul says, I'm certifying unto you. He says, I am certifying unto you the gospel of Christ. 
He says, it didn't come to me by men, but he says, it is the gospel of God and to God, and it came to me by God. And he said, I'm certifying it. I'm putting my seal of approval upon it. Paul goes through and won't go into it for time's sake. You would be blessed if you go through and read the few chapters of the Galatian brethren right here. But Paul, he, he states his own experience. Paul goes through and he says, I was headed down the wrong path. I was persecuting the Christians. The Spirit of God arrested me. It changed me. And and I have been delighted to give my life to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, of, of, of God's amazing grace, the rest of my life. And he says, I don't want to go back myself unto a bondage doctrine. I don't want to go back. I've been delivered from persecuting Christians. I don't want to go back. You know, so much of God's word teaches us to go forward. Brother Compton used to say, we don't baptize folks on who they were. It's who they are. And God blesses us to to look forward. Paul goes through and he states his own case. And he says, I've been delivered. I've been changed. I want to give my life for the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And he says, and I don't want to go back. And you know what? We shouldn't want to go back in any area of our life. If God's delivered us, whether it's to the truth of the gospel, whether it's from a particular sin in our life, if God has delivered us, we ought not to want to go back. And then Paul comes down and he even gets, uh, he even gets a little bit stronger right here in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, O foolish Galatians, look how he addresses them. He says, Who hath bewitched you? Now, I don't like that word bewitched. Uh, used to be a show about that, but it just doesn't appeal to me, the word bewitched. Paul says, who hath bewitched you? Who hath confused you? Who hath uh, changed your way of thinking? He says, O foolish uh, Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? Paul says, don't go back to that. In, in, in chapter 2, verse, uh, I think the latter part of chapter 2 is, is really, really good. Uh, Paul says, uh, don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the law service. He says, uh, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Paul says, don't go back there. Paul says, if we go back, we're frustrating the grace of God. That's basically how it appears to me. If we go back unto a law service, if we go back unto a works service. We'll go down chapter 5 and touch on a few verses. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Did you know what? That God's grace and the message of God's grace is a very liberating message. It sets us free from a whole lot. I grew up and what little bit of church that I'd been instructed around, I thought that it was, it was either up to me or up to my aunts 
or up to my grandparents or up to the preacher, up to my parents. It was up to somebody to do something to help God out. That's a bondage. It's either a bondage for yourself or it's a bondage for somebody else. I can remember a little aunt that I had. She lived to be in her 90s and it was such a a burden of her heart. All the nieces and she was an old maid school teacher and she she just carried this to her grave. She carried such a, a burden for the eternal destiny of her nieces and nephews. And, and if you'd go see her, she would set you down in a room. She'd lock the door and she'd set you down. And she would uh, declare unto you the steps of salvation that you needed to do. And she carried that weight and that burden with her and she, until she went to be with the Lord. Now I, I feel like she, she has to know surely that it's by God's grace. And that God saves his people no matter where they are, no matter who they are. He knows how to reach them and he reaches every one of them successfully 100% of the time. I've known some preachers that felt like that it was um, that they had the responsibility of assisting and populating heaven. And that it was vital that the gospel be preached and proclaimed and heard and responded to. I love the gospel. If I didn't love the gospel, I wouldn't travel around preaching the gospel. I love the gospel. It's a great blessing. It's a great benefit. And God can do a work of grace while someone is preaching the gospel, but God is not hindered by the by my efforts in preaching the gospel or my lack of ability or my lack in reaching somebody. The gospel is a great blessing, but the gospel itself does not give life. Here's what it does do. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and, and hath brought life and immortality to light. Now, if that said life... I'd believe it different. But it says that the gospel brings life and immortality to light. What does light do? It illuminates what's already there. You ever get up at night to make a short trip to the bathroom and you, uh, you, you wish that you'd have flipped on a switch? Especially if you run into the coffee table or something like that. Especially if you're in a motel or staying somewhere that you're not familiar with. The purpose of turning on the light is to show you what's there. And the purpose of the gospel, the blessing, the purpose and the blessing of the gospel of what Brother Asa and Brother Steve and myself delight in sharing with God's people is not to give you life but to show you the life that's there. To show you what Christ has done for you. To show you that Christ has touched your life. That if you're you're perplexed in what's going on inside, if you feel a conviction of your sin, if you have a hope in glory, the gospel tells you what's happened to you. And it tells you about your eternal home. The gospel's a great, great blessing. It sets folks free. To believe the precious truths about God's amazing and his sovereign grace. 
The gospel doesn't give us life, but it gives us light on the life that we have. And Paul says, don't you go back into another gospel. Even if somebody comes among you and preaches this other gospel, Paul tells the folks that the Galatian brethren don't embrace it. And then he comes down and he says, uh, and uh, he says, if, if, if you've been touched by God's grace, if you've been delivered, if you've been set free from a work system or being under the law and you're under grace, he says, uh, live like it as well. Verse 16 says, this I say then, walk in the spirit. Well, let's back up one before, a couple before that. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. If ye bite and devour one another. He's basically saying it's important how you treat others around. Recently was talking to a brother, that uh, not here at Mount Carmel, but a brother in another area that um, um, we were talking about the judgment day. Now, I don't know about you. Have you heard many sermons on the judgment day? I haven't heard too many. I haven't preached too many. I'm looking forward to Brother Steve and Brother Asen. If you do move south, I hope you'll preach on the judgment day before you go. I don't have a whole lot of light on the judgment day, but this, this brother was telling me, he says, I, I, actually, I actually dread the judgment day. Then he brought up something that was uh, sobering. He said, what if? On that day, not only all of our works are made manifest. Now, you may think I've about got it under control. I can just about control my tongue. I can just about control what I say or what I do. So I've about got that figured out. Remember when I think it was Brother Ace and I went up to... Uh, Where did your parents live, Sister Greenfield? York. Sister Greenfield's mother was in her early 90s, I believe, and Brother, brother uh, Krauss was in his 90s. And we said something to him like, uh, well, we, we, hope you're, uh, we hope you're doing well and being good. And she said, we can't be any other way as old as we are. <laughs> you, you may have gotten to the point that you think that uh, you're good because as old as you are, you almost can't be any other way. But this brother brought up something. He said, what if not our words, not our actions, but what if all of our thoughts are made manifest? Wow. Mike can control the tongue a little bit. Mike can control the walk a little bit. What about your mind? Well, I hope grace covers that too. Hope it does. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed walk 
one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You've been given the Spirit. Paul says, walk in it. This I say, walk in the Spirit, that ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Anybody here ever understand that or relate to it? That's, that, that's pretty simple. It says that you've got a warfare that's going on. You've got a struggle that's going on. You've got the spiritual man. You've got the natural man. There's a warfare that's going on inside of us. I'm looking forward to the day that when we pass from this life that that, that old Adam man, that old natural man is going to be laid into the grave. And it's not going to raise forth in the same fashion as it's laid down. There's going to be a change that takes place. And 1 Corinthians 15 highlights that change for us. Walk in the spirit as ye shall fulfill, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to know the best way to, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh is walk in the spirit. You know when I'm singing hymns, even driving down the road, when I'm reading God's word, when I'm praying, I'm not as likely to be sinning. It helps a whole lot. He says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. It means there's a struggle going on. The spirit against the flesh. And these two are like sandpaper. You ever taken sandpaper and rubbed the two together? Ouch. You ever taken, when you were a kid, fingernails and went down along the chalkboard at school? I don't even know if they still have chalkboards in school. Maybe not. Young folks may, may not know what we're talking about here. But he says that it's contrary one to another. Your flesh and your spirit are contrary one to another. He says, walk after the spirit. And he says, so that you cannot do the things which he would. But he says, if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Paul says, don't go back unto the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. You may go down the checklist and say, well, I've got these figured out and these are not challenges for me. But if you go down far enough, some of them may address you. The works of the flesh are these adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderings, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and this is, this is so rich here, there's so much in this. The fruit of the Spirit, that means the, the offspring of the Spirit... Or the benefits of the Spirit, or as a result of the Spirit, you have these. So if you have these, it's because you have the Spirit dwelling within you, and it is the Holy Spirit that quickens you and gives you spiritual life, and it does it immediately when the Lord chooses to give you spiritual life. And you have He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That means made alive. But the offspring of the Spirit of God are these. Now, look at this. This is so good. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. It's long-suffering. It's gentleness. It's goodness. It's faith. Well, my goodness. 
If folks tell you that you've got to have faith to get into heaven, where are you going to get it? If you're a child of God and you have the spirit of God, you have faith. Now, you may have a little bit or you may have a lot, but you have faith. You get into a jam and just see how much faith you have. All of a sudden, your faith kicks in. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Do you know what? Not any of us are born with temperance. We have, well, maybe Ruby. That's the only one that I know offhand. Maybe Charlotte. But generally, we're not born with these traits unless we have the Spirit of God in us. We're not just naturally this way. We're not just naturally joyful or long-suffering. I mean, you may say, well, I had to learn how to be long-suffering. But God can bless you through His Spirit to be long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Paul says, you've been delivered from the law. You've been delivered from a work system. He says, you've been given a wonderful blessing. Now he says, enjoy it and live in it. He says, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their affections and love. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6 is really, really good as well. Won't get into that. But Paul is basically saying right here, you've been set free from the yoke of bondage. Praise God for it. Don't go back unto it. God has saved you. If you're saved, he saved you by his grace. He paid the price. He represented you upon the cross of Calvary. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. Brother Cook sent me a, he's getting really, really progressive. He sent me a YouTube video. You got to look it up. What's the guy's name? Tex Ritter. Hillbilly heaven, right? I thought, what, what is there? Behind this as I begin to listen to it. But you got to listen to the whole thing. Because he began to list off some of the names of people that are in heaven that have gone before. He comes from the standpoint of a dream that he's having. It's good old time 1950s song. I don't know if you want to listen to it, but it, it, it's good. But he talks about the names of those that are already gone to heaven. And then he talks about the names. He says, now, who's going to be in the next hundred years? He starts going down a list of names, and all of a sudden his name was mentioned. He said, I woke up and I wished I hadn't because it was a wonderful view. Paul said, you're in Christ, and you're in him by his grace. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world, and he loved you, and he redeemed you, And he's coming back for you. He said, don't you go back and think that you've got to help the Lord out. Don't you go back under any bondage or any burdens. 
you've been set free from that. In fact, we're taught that the truth, not only is it liberating, that the truth sets us free. It does. doesn't give us a license to sit down and do nothing. Absolutely to the contrary. You've got a precious, precious, precious doctrine that Jesus Christ paid it all. All to him I owe. Not that we can pay anything. We owe him a lot. Only way we can repay is our appreciation is to be faithful in his service. We can't pay the price for one of our sins. But we can show him that we're thankful. If we're not thankful, pray that God will bless you with a thankful heart. To spend the rest of your days praising him for what he's done. May God bless you.